Topic 21, Second Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Patterson. 20th Century Negro Literature. Topic 21, Second Paper. Does the North afford to the Negro better opportunities of making a living than the South? by Professor W. H. Council, Ph.D. W. H. Council was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in 1848, and was carried to Alabama by the traders in 1857 through the famous Richmond Slave Pen. In Alabama, he worked in the fields with other slaves. He is a self-made man, having had only few school advantages. He attended one of the first schools opened by kind Northern friends at Stevenson, Alabama in 1865. Here he remained about three years, and this is the basis of his education. He has been a close and earnest student ever since, often spending much of the night in study. He has accumulated quite an excellent library, and the best books of the best masters are his constant companions as well as a large supply of the best current literature. By private instruction and almost incessant study, he gained a fair knowledge of some of the languages, higher mathematics, and the sciences. He was enrolling clerk of the Alabama House of Representatives in 1872 to 1874. He was appointed by President Grant Receiver of the Land Office of the Northern District of Alabama in 1875. He was founder and editor of the Huntsville Herald from 1877 to 1884. He founded the great educational institution, Normal, of which he is president and has been for a quarter of a century. He read law and was admitted to the Supreme Court of Alabama in 1883. But he has never left the profession of teaching although flattering political positions have been held out to him. He has occupied high positions in church and other religious, temperance, and charitable organizations, and has no mean standing as a public speaker. Professor Council has traveled quite extensively in Europe and was warmly received and entertained by the Honorable W.E. Gladstone and His Majesty King Leopold of Belgium. And thus, by earnest toil, self-denial, hard study, he has made himself, built up one of the largest institutions in the South, and educated scores of young people at his own expense. Professor Council is proud to be known as a friend to Africa. He is cooperating with Bishop Turner in the redemption and civilization of that continent. Normal, under Professor Council is educating native Africans for this purpose. He has received the degree of Ph.D. from Morris Brown College. Professor Council is author of The Lamp of Wisdom. He writes extensively for the leading magazines and newspapers of the country. A comparison of the opportunities which different sections hold out to any class of our fellow citizens should not be regarded as hostile criticism. No man, no country suffers by the truth. 
We cannot answer this question by yes or no. The North affords the better opportunities in some things, while in others, the South gives the Negro the better opportunity for making a living. If we are correct in putting abroad an educated mind as the foundation for every useful superstructure, we are forced to admit that the opportunity for laying this foundation is better in the North, where a century of thought on popular education has developed the finest public school system in the world. While this brings the Northern Negro in contact with the great Anglo-Saxon mind and fits him for making a living and a business in that atmosphere, he has to undergo a kind of mental acclimatization before he can effectively and usefully enter into work in the South, where the atmosphere at every turn is different from that in the North. For 25 years, I have been brought in direct contact with Negroes reared or educated in the North, and I do not recall one who did not have to unnorthernize himself in many respects before he could harmonize to usefulness in the South. It is to the credit of our Northern brethren that they are thus willing to sacrifice a part of their individualism in order to serve their race in the South. In my long experience, I have not met a quarter dozen who have not cheerfully put aside their selfishness for the common good of their associates and their work. Indeed, I have found my northern brethren more willing and helpful in this regard, perhaps, than the southern Negroes, who are more self-assertive and persistent in their makeup, a spirit imbibed from the general character of independence and domineering found in the South. But the Southern Negro, reared in harmony with Southern institutions, having assimilated prejudices and counter-prejudices, can use to greater advantage his small amount of education and training. In a country where competition is sharp, as in this country, and where any kind of excitement is resorted to in order to give advantage to its competitors, the minority race, especially in inferior circumstances, must suffer along lines of battle for bread in which the masses engage. Thus it is, while the northern Negro enjoys high privileges of an intellectual character among the classes, he is bumped, shunned, and pushed to the rear among the quarreling, scrambling masses. There are scattered far and wide a few Negroes in the north who are doing well in business. They get the patronage of their white neighbors. There are few communities in the North where the Negro population is strong enough to support a Negro in business, if the race lines were drawn in business. I think the voluntary collections of like tribes and races of men, as Italians, Jews, Chinese, Poles, Norwegians, Swedes, and the like, in settlements in our large cities and some country districts, show clearly the gregarious disposition of like peoples, and from time out of mind each tribe, clan or race, has depended upon itself for patronage and support. In order for the Negro to succeed in any considerable degree in business in the North, it would be necessary to increase the Negro population in that section. 
as i have intimated above there are few fields for operation in the north for negroes regardless of their ability to succeed for there are few cases where negro patronage is not limited to the negro population while occasionally a few negroes may get patronage from the other clans and tribes it is nevertheless true that as a general rule the aim is to keep the trade in the family as it were every whip of tribal differentiation and prejudice is applied to enforce a rigid observance of this general rule i think that we may logically conclude that the opportunity for that training and education which could make the northern negro immediately useful to the mass of the race and the opportunity to gather material wealth are not ideal in the north ninety-two per cent of the negro population reside in the south where slavery left them under normal conditions there should be ninety-two per cent of negro wealth thrift and energy in the south the opportunity to accumulate wealth and the accumulation are different the southern negro is a wealth producer he does four-fifths of the agricultural labor of the south and thereby adds four-fifths to the wealth of the south derived from agriculture the leading southern industry if the whole of the billion dollars to the credit of the negro race were placed to the credit of the southern negro alone it would be less than half of what he should have saved since the war the negroes of the south handle more money than new england did one hundred years ago and yet new england would be glad to place her barrels of gold and silver at nominal interest so rich has she grown although in the chilly winds of the northeast the opportunities for the southern negro are as good for material gain as are enjoyed by any other people in this country the census of eighteen ninety shows two hundred and twenty-four occupations followed by the wage earners of the united states the negroes are represented in every one of these occupations grouped under five heads professional agriculture trade and transportation manufactures and personal service the southern negro while not in all of them occupies in the south the vantage ground and those that bring the most independence in living we must not forget that agriculture is what we might call the staple industry of the south i am indebted to hon judson w lyons register of the united states treasury for the following statistics showing the wonderful influence of negro labor in the commercial industries of the world more cotton is exported from the united states than any other article in the last ten years thirty billion pounds of cotton valued at two hundred and twenty five million dollars have been exported the united states produces more cotton than all the balance of the world the cotton manufactories of great britain germany france belgium and italy depend upon our cotton exports ten years ago three hundred and fifty four million dollars were invested in cotton manufactories 
employing 221,585 operatives, who received for wages $67,489,000 per annum. The South produced from 1880 to 1890 620 million bushels of corn, 78 million bushels of wheat, and 97 million bushels of oats. The Negro performed four-fifths of the labor of the South, as we have seen. Therefore, his share in the average annual production in the last 10 years would be 6,988,000 bales of cotton, valued at $209,640,000. In the last 10 years, the Negro's part of the production of corn, wheat, oats, and cotton was $431,320,000 per annum. The entire cotton acreage of the South would form an area of 40,000 square miles. Negro labor cultivates 32,000 square miles of this space. 57% of the Negro race are engaged in agricultural pursuits, and 31% are engaged in personal service. Therefore, 88% of the wage earners of the race in the South are engaged in these two pursuits, or, in other words, 88% of the wage earners of the race have opportunity for profitable employment. Where the masses of the Negroes are found and can get paying work, as they can in the South, there we must expect the greatest prosperity among Negroes. Our expectation is highly gratified in this case in the South. No doubt, if the 92% Negro population were to exchange places with the 8%, the opportunities now held out in the South would be transferred to the North. Our opportunities over those enjoyed by our Northern brethren are the creatures of accidents rather than of our meritorious invention. The opportunities to win character and wealth afforded the Negroes of the South by agriculture and domestic service are probably better than are enjoyed by any other class of people in the world. The field is broad and ripe, and the Negro must now see and seize these opportunities, or they will pass from the race forever. No peasant population ever had more favorable environments. The Negro does not only do four-fifths of the agricultural labor of the South, but he has the opportunity to own four-fifths of the land he cultivates. This opportunity is not enjoyed by any other peasant class in the world. As I see it, the greatest success for the Negro race in America lies in the farm. There he meets the least resistance and obtains the greatest sustenance. Their color prejudice is almost unknown. While everywhere in the mechanic arts, prejudice is bitter, competition is sharp, and the chances for success are small. This is a matter which the Negro must seriously consider now or weep over his procrastination.
the drift to the cities to exchange the free honest healthful plenteous conditions of farm life for the miserable slums sin and squalor of city life must be checked our boys and girls must be educated for the farm it would be hard to find a people better suited for domestic and personal service than the negro and all the elements which are necessary for personal and domestic service the negro cannot be excelled he is not treacherous he forms no plots and schemes to entrap his master he resorts to no violent incendiary measures of avenging himself against his master but he humbly and tamely submits to the conditions ever looking for betterment through superhuman agencies if the south would only look this matter squarely in the face it would admit that it has the best service on earth and would vote liberal appropriations for the development of negro education of every character it may seem to persons not informed incredible but it is no less a fact that where racial prejudice runs highest in the south and the demarcation between the races is most distinct along social lines there the negro is most prosperous and strange to say advances most rapidly in material wealth self-help self-dependence faith in self seem to spur to success as nothing else does the drugstore is the creature of anglo-saxon prejudice and denying negroes accommodations at the soda water fountains run by white men in a score of channels the negro is pushed on to success by anglo-saxon discrimination what seems a curse is in reality a blessing to the race anglo-saxon prejudice forces the negro to take advantage of his great opportunity to get rich end of topic twenty one second paper